We're glad that you're here, and what a great opportunity we have to honor the Lord Jesus and to remember his coming to this planet. And uh, we know that Christmas has connected with it the idea of Christmas gifts, and all of us have memorable Christmas gifts that, that we have received. And with every Christmas gift that's memorable, there's always a story about it. I wanted to share with you very briefly uh, my memory of perhaps my most memorable Christmas gift that came when I was uh, about 14 years old. Wasn't going to be driving for two years, had need of getting around, and so I remember coming to my parents and saying to them, I would like to have a 10-speed bike for Christmas. And uh, at that time, 10 speeds were, were new. I mean... If you really had a cool bike, you had a three-speed bike, but I wanted one of those new fangled 10-speed bikes. We were like a lot of families and uh, and limited finances, and I remember the Sunday morning came when I was hoping against hope there'd be a 10-speed there, and particularly in the color of blue, my, my favorite color of all. Came to Sunday morning, and there really wasn't a 10-speed bike there. There was actually a three-speed bike. And In fact, my father told me a little of the story. He said, we would have liked to have gotten you a 10-speed bike, but we couldn't afford it. So he said, I bought this used three-speed bike, and it had been painted sort of an ugly maroon, and, and he had painted it a blue because he knew that I, I liked blue and I really wanted a blue bike. And so... Uh, even though it was a little bit of a disappointment, it wasn't a 10-speed, uh, I had my blue 3-speed. And I want you to know I had people to see and places to go. And I rode that bike everywhere. Had a blast with it. Absolutely enjoyed it. Until the day, a rather warm day, I pulled up to King Louis West bowling lanes and parked the old blue 3-speed right there by the door and walked through the door into the concession area of the bowling alley to grab myself a Coke. It was only about 40 seconds from the time I left my bike and got the Coke and came back out, and my bike was gone. I mean, gone, gone. And uh, I began to think about that for a minute. I thought, how does this happen? I just park my bike, I walk in, I get a Coke at King Louie, and I'm out there and my bike is gone. And I began to do um, a little bit of thinking about what should I do at this point, so I went back into the bowling lanes and called the police and said my bike has been stolen, and they would say, well, you know, that happens a lot, and, uh, you know, in a day or two, we'll have a detective come by and he can talk to you about the bike. And so I got to thinking about this. Wait a minute now, wait a minute, a day or two, this could be way too late. And I, I began to employ a little bit of those investigative genes that God, I think, gave to me, which you sometimes see revealed in the way that I, I study the Scriptures. And I began to think, now, how could this happen? And then I, I thought, now, did I see anybody going into the bowling lane that could have been coming out of the bowling lane? And then I remembered that indeed I saw three guys. I didn't know them very well, but I recognized them from school, and they had been on the way out when I was on the way in. And I thought, that's kind of strange, three guys, one bike, but I wonder if they could have taken it. And so 
went home, got my sister's bicycle, and knowing the address where particularly the most suspicious one of these three guys lived, I decided I'm going to go over there and see what's going on. Came up to the house, rang the doorbell, nobody answers. And I'm thinking, this, this has to be where my bike has gone. And so they had one of those garage doors that were very popular in the day that had the, the little glass panes in, little window panes in them, you know what I'm talking about? So I go over to the garage door, you know, get up on, on my toes, and I look in through the window pane, and sure enough, there it is. There's my 10-speed or 3-speed bicycle, the blue 3-speed, and it has been fairly well stripped down and somewhat sanded down already, even though this was within, really, uh, 45 minutes of its disappearance. Well, I thought, this is just exactly what I was hoping for, and so I went next door, called the police, you know, excited to tell them, I found my bike, in fact, it's in this guy's house, and I will be waiting here when you come. And the police came, and of course, you know, we caught these guys red-handed and everything, and uh, part of the agreement that they made uh, with the police department and everything is that they would reimburse me so that I could indeed get my bike fixed again. And so it was pretty cool. Now, I didn't become a 10-speed, but I got to pick out the hottest color of blue that this thing was going to be repainted. And not only that, we got rid of those old painted fenders that went all the way around, and we got these cut chrome fenders put onto that fella. That was a great bike, and I rode it for a number of years, got a lot of enjoyment out of it. My most memorable Christmas gift that I ever received. And as I said, there is a story behind every gift. But what I really want to talk about this morning in our time is the first Christmas gift. And the fact that the first Christmas gift was, in reality, the most memorable gift that was ever given. And what I want you to do is just to sit back and relax for a moment. I don't even want you to open your Bible. And I want to read for you the story with a little different translation of the very first Christmas gift. This is the story behind that first gift. At that time, Caesar Augustus, the emperor, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Everyone was required to return to his ancestral home for this registration. And because Joseph was a descendant of the royal line of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home, journeying there from the Galilean village of Nazareth. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was near the end of her pregnancy. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son, wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the village inn. That night, some shepherds were in the fields outside the village guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel appeared among them, and the landscape blazed with the glory of God. They were terrified. 
But the angel assured them, don't be afraid. I bring you the most joyful news ever announced, and it is for everyone. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem. The shepherds asked, how, how will we recognize him? You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast group of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, Glory to God in the heavenly heights and peace on earth for all those who please him. When this great army of angels had returned again to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Come on, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this wonderful thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they ran to the village and found their way to Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. The shepherds told everyone they met what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story expressed astonishment. Then the shepherds went back again to their fields and flocks, praising God for the visit of the angels and because they had seen the child just as the angel told them. That's the story behind the first Christmas gift, which is really the most memorable gift ever given. Now, we are used to, in our culture, giving and receiving gifts. And when you give and you receive gifts, there are some key elements involved with those gifts. One of the elements, of course, is the wrappings of the gift. Some of us love to wrap gifts. Many of us <laughs> will do anything to avoid wrapping gifts. But part of a gift is the wrappings. Another part of the gift is the name tag that is on there. It will be from someone to someone, right? And then the other key element of the, of, of the gift and in giving of gifts and receiving gifts would be the contents of the gift. <laughs> what is the gift going to be? Is it going to be a 10-speed? Is it going to be a three-speed. And then, of course, you have the final key element in gifts would be the response to those gifts, how we respond to the gift that someone gives to us. And I want to track those four key elements through the giving of the first Christmas gift, the most magnificent gift ever given. So, if you have a gift, it begins with wrappings. And I have a, a little gift box up here. And if you are going to deal with and respond to this gift, the very first thing that you would do, of course, is that you would remove the wrappings of the gift. And when we look at the first Christmas gift, there were wrappings involved with that gift. In fact, we read from Luke chapter 2 and verse 12, and it tells us there that the baby, that first Christmas gift, was wrapped in cloths. 
or some of the older versions would say in swaddling clothes. You know, and in our culture, we don't really understand really what that was. But it was a very specific thing. It was taking strips of cloth that you would wrap around the arms and the legs and even the body of a baby to keep the material that you were covering that baby with uh, covered and tight to the baby. See, it was a problem when you have Joseph and Mary and they go to Bethlehem and, and they're poor people and it wasn't like they could say, you know what, Joseph, we're going to have the baby here right here now. Could you think you'd, you'd run over to Walmart and get one of those newborn outfits, you know, with little snaps on it so we can have something for the baby to wear? They couldn't do that. Not only that, they were poor people. And what poor people would do is they would literally do this. They did not have a sewn-together outfit. They would take a portion of material and wrap it around, uh, loop it kind of around the, the arm of the baby. Then they would take strips of cloth, and they would use that to secure that. They would do the same thing with the legs, and they would do the same thing with the body for the baby. So there would be some strips around, almost a little bit like the principle of, of a picture we have of a mummy, but just a couple of strips that would hold the material in place around the baby and that was the wrappings that existed for the very first Christmas gift. But you know I think when you think about all of the potential wrappings and trappings related to this gift there's another thing we need to look at and that is where it happened. That's part of the wrappings and the trappings of the first Christmas gift. Do you know that tradition says that the manger was in a cave. And they would often do that when they had a place where they would store animals. They would, they would find a cave and use that because a cave had an entrance to it. It would be very easy to keep the animals inside of that cave. Tradition says that the first Christmas gift was in a cave. And Philip Keller does a great job of giving us a description of potentially what this may have been like. He writes this, The sheep corral, filthy as only an eastern animal enclosure can be, reeked pungently with manure and urine accumulated across the seasons. Joseph cleared a corner just large enough for Mary to lie down. Birth pains had started. She writhed in agony on the ground. Joseph, in his inexperience and unknowingly manly manner, did his best to reassure her. His own other tunic would be her bed, his rough saddlebag her pillow. Hay, straw uh, were non-existent. This was not hay or grain-growing country. Livestock barely survived by grazing on the sparse vegetation that sprang from the semi-desert terrain around the town. Mary, and remember she's only about 14 years old, moaned and groaned in the darkness of the sheep shelter. Joseph swept away the dust and the dirt from a small place in one of the hand-hewn mangers carved from the soft limestone rock. It was covered with cobwebs and debris that had fallen from the rock ceiling. There, as best he could, he arranged a place where Mary could lay the newborn babe all bundled up 
in swaddling clothes that she had brought along. And there, alone, unaided, without strangers or friends, to witness her ordeal in the darkness, Mary delivered her son. He goes on to write, a more lowly or humble birth is impossible to imagine. It was the stage entrance of the Son of Man, the Son of God, God, very God, in human form upon earth's stage. You want to talk about the the wrappings and the trappings around the first Christmas gift. It's far different than we might have imagined it would be. The first Christmas gift came not in in like one of our living rooms that would be carpeted, but rather in a cold, dank, dirty, animal stable. And I don't believe that was an accident because I believe it was symbolic. You see, that first Christmas gift came into a world that was dark and dirty, a world of evil a world of sin, and a world of wrong. So when we look at the first Christmas gift, part of what we need to remember are the wrappings around the gift. But, you know, a second part of a gift is always the name tag. You know, you have, one of the first things you look at on the gift is to see the name tag. Who is it to and and who is it from? And I want us to read from the Gospel of John. If you have your Bible, you can turn there to the Gospel of John in the third chapter. Because I think we have here the information that was included on the name tag of the first Christmas gift. Some familiar verses to many of us. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God the Father did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved, might be rescued, might be delivered through him. You see, um, that first Christmas gift came with a tag on it, and I believe that tag at the part where it says two read, a world of lost sinners. This gift is to a world of lost sinners, including you and me from God the Father. A world of lost sinners from God the Father. Now, as with any gift, you get anxious and you wonder, what are the contents? We've seen the wrappings of it and the trappings of it, and we've looked at the name tag to a world of lost sinners from God the Father. But oh, we're always so anxious to look inside. 
and to look at the contents of the gift. If you would, turn with me to the very first chapter of the very first gospel, which is Matthew chapter 1. And these are some verses we've looked at recently. But I think they delineate the contents of that first Christmas gift rather clearly. Verse 21 of Matthew 1, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. We could translate that rescuer, deliverer, savior. You shall call his name Jesus or rescuer, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken of by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. You not only have the wrappings of the gift, you not only have the, the name tag of the gift, but you also have the contents of the gift. And when we open up this gift, this is what we find. The gift was given by God the Father to a world of lost sinners. And that gift that was given was the gift of a rescuer. The gift of one who would pay a debt that I could not pay and that you could not pay. A baby who was born to die, who came to this planet for the express purpose of giving his life as a payment, as a ransom for you and for me. It's no wonder that... Uh, Paul declares in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you know, there's one thing about a gift. If, if you have to pay to receive the gift, it's not a gift. But every gift you are ever given has to be paid for by someone, and in this case, it was paid for by God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. Jesus Christ paid the price so that I could receive the free gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That baby was the first Christmas gift. And as it says in Micah 5, 5, predicting his coming, he will be our peace. He will be the one to bring peace between a holy God and a world of lost sinners. A poet who can write more poetically than I put it this way. A baby's hands in Bethlehem were small and softly curled 
but held within their dimpled grasp the hope of all the world. The rescuer had come. You see, Mary had a little lamb who came to climb on a cross for a world of lost sinners like you and me. The first Christmas gift, most memorable gift of all. But you know, in the arena of gifts, there's not only just the wrappings and the name tag and the contents. A gift by its design is to elicit response. And I want to talk about three different responses that I think God desires a world of lost sinners to have to that first Christmas gift. And the first response is the response of acceptance. You know, a gift can be refused. Could have said to my dad, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not taking a three-speed used bike. I'm going to just hold out someday in the future, maybe I can get a gift that I like better. A gift can be refused. And the first Christmas gift can be refused. In fact, every human being on the face of the planet is going to have a choice either to push the gift aside or to accept it. And so the first response he wishes us to have to the first Christmas gift is the response of acceptance. We need to accept his gift of being our rescuer by faith. What's really interesting to me is how we so often take the word faith and we make that a religious word. It's just a religious word. doesn't really have any practical application in everyday life. Nothing could be further from the truth because, you see, we all exercise faith multiple times every week. How many people here in the last two years have been on an airplane? Let me see your hands. Okay, quite a number of us. Did you know when you got on an airplane you exercised faith? How many people the last time you got on a plane interviewed the pilot before you left the ground? Hey, I just wanted to check, is your like pilot training up to date here? You know, can I see your like pilot's license? Check out the expiration date. Or did you interview him to go, you know what, I just want to know, I know that some people drink and drive, I'm a little concerned that some people might drink and fly. Have you been out partying recently? You know, what were you doing with the whole airline crew and all the stewardesses? Were you, you know, tipping a whole bunch of them? Can I just sort of smell your breath? I mean, none of us did that. And the reason why we didn't do that is we were going to exercise faith because there were some reasonable facts that we have. And that is that airlines are generally responsible and require accountability on the part of their pilots. And maybe we've flown before or we've heard of people who've flown before. And based upon reasonable facts, we exercise faith. We get on the plane and we fly. We exercise faith all of the time. In fact, you all exercised faith when you came in this room. I watched you coming in here. 
and I observed something. I noticed that nobody who came in this room, before you sat down in that chair, picked the chair up and inspected the spot welds underneath. You didn't do that. You just came in and you sat down in the chair. Why did you do that? We exercised faith and trust in, in something. Well, part of it was some of you have a history of having sat in these chairs before. Maybe if it's your first time, you think this looks like a reasonably responsible group of people. That looks like the kind of chairs I've sat in before without them collapsing. They look to be strong. You have some reasonable facts, and so you exercise faith. And that's what we really need to do ultimately with the first Christmas gift. We have reasonable facts. We know that the existence of Jesus Christ is a real thing. He was a real person. We know that we have the Bible that tells us about that. We know that we have fulfilled prophecies, multiple, multiple dozens of them, that verify that this is a divine book. We know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is in ancient times the most verified historical fact that there is. So based on reasonable facts, we can conclude that we can accept the fact that He is our rescuer by faith. That's one of the responses He wants us to have. Have you done that? Have you said, I want to trust in Him to be my rescuer? So one response we are to have, I think, to the first Christmas gift is acceptance. The second response is is one that every gift giver wants to receive, and that is gratitude. Gratitude. I love what Paul says when he he just sort of lets it blurt out of his mouth, and he says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. He's saying, I can't even pull the words down to describe the incredible nature of what he did in sending Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to climb on that cross for me to earn my forgiveness and eternal life. Response of gratitude. Let me just ask you a question. I don't want you to answer this out loud, but here's the question. How long has it been since you sent a thank you note to God for the first Christmas gift? You see, sometimes we, well, I've been around this kind of thing. It's another Christmas. I know the thing. I know the stories. I've read the accounts. How long has it been since you sent him a thank you note? Now, it might be something that you write. It, it may be just something that comes from your heart to his heart as you communicate to him gratitude. How long has it been since he's heard from you about how you appreciate that first Christmas gift of the rescuer, the person of Jesus Christ. So you have the response of acceptance, accepting that gift by faith. You have the response of gratitude. The third response that particularly fits this gift is the response of worship. To be grateful, yes, but to worship Him and honor Him with my life. That's the response that he wants. Earlier this morning we sang a classic Christmas carol that asks a very, very penetrating question. What child is this 
who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. And the chorus answers, this, this is Christ the King whom shepherds guard and angels sing, haste, haste to bring him laud the babe the son of Mary. Laud is just a word for worship. It was fun to watch many of you singing those words and giving the response to the gift of worship to him. I want to worship him. Many of you were saying with my words, but for all of us, we need to be worshiping Him and honoring Him with our life. As we go through life and live life, is the desire to honor Him a fresh response in your life to the first Christmas gift, the most memorable gift of all time? Let's pray together. Father, we want to just thank you so much for a fresh visit to the first Christmas gift and the greatness of someone who loved us like that. And Father, as we have refreshed our thinking about the wrappings, the name tag, the contents of this gift, nothing could be more important than our response. It begins with acceptance by faith of the gift to be able to open our arms up and say, I need a rescuer. Jesus is the rescuer, and I want to trust in him. If you've never had that response, you need to have that response. Don't push him away. Don't reject the gift. Accept it by faith. And then you have the response of gratitude. And Father, we know it's easy to just get caught up in all the craziness of this time of year and not send you a thank you note for the one who bled and died for us. And then, Father, we finally have that last response that you desire to see, a response of worship to say, I'm not going to do it perfectly, but I want to honor him with my life because of the gift that was given to me even when I didn't deserve to receive it. We praise your name. We give you honor. And Lord, we know sometimes it just simply means I want to use the treasure that you've given to me, the talents, abilities you've given to me, maybe the time. I want to use those things to honor your name. And we know that when that happens, as the giver of good gifts, it pleases your heart. And we desire to do that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.